During our last episode, we explored the model behind Ashesi University. Today, we are joined by an alumna from the early cohort of that university. Uh, Regina Honu is a Ghanaian social entrepreneur, software developer, and the founder of Soronko Solutions. It's a software development company in Ghana that seeks to use technology to empower rural Ghanaian youth. In 2016, Regina opened Soronko Academy, the first coding and human-centered design school in West Africa. She graduated in computer science from Ashesi University and has since been encouraging thousands of young girls in particular to pursue technology education through her academy. Uh, in this episode, we learn about Regina's challenging experience and resilience in the workplace and how it changed the course of her future. Like the previous episode, this episode was also recorded in Accra, Ghana during the Wise at Accra Regional Forum. With that, I give you Regina Honey. Regina Honu, welcome to Wise Words. Thank you so much. Uh, Regina, you've had a very sort of interesting journey, mm-hmm. education journey, if, if I may say, which I think our uh, listeners would love to hear. Talk to us a little bit about your, your personal learning journey and what uh, led you to found Soronko Solutions, uh, which is a software development company that also incorporates a foundation where the focus is really to teach girls how to how to code. So I think I was never the conventional sort of child. Um, My mother said I used to talk a lot and um, I would ask a lot of questions. So I was a very unconventional child and I think there were three instances that shaped me. The first one was I was one of the best students in my high school and I was very good in science and I had the opportunity to do an exchange program in Norway. And when I got there, you know, they would give you like a problem and then a formula book with different formulas. And I didn't know how to apply any of the things I was learning. So I realized when it came to memorizing information and then reproducing it, excellent. But I couldn't really break down the problem and solve it. And so when I came back, I was like asking more questions. So when they say osmosis is the flow of water from an upward motion to a downward motion, what does it mean? And I was told, you know, I've traveled, so I think I know better. I'm asking too many questions and I'm holding the class back from completing the syllabus. Mm. So the teacher was like set on making sure that he completes the syllabus. So um, when I came back, I started to think, wow, I mean, I really have to understand the principles I'm learning. It's not just about producing or passing exams. And so from that point, it really changed my approach to learning, you know. So I stopped just memorizing stuff and then started to really break things down and then get to the root cause of it. So that was one. And then I think the second instance was I watched the movie called Rocket Man. And a man was able to fly with a rocket strapped on his back. And at the time, I thought everything on TV was real. So I had never traveled. And I thought, I'm going to build my own rocket. So I actually sketch a prototype, take it to my teacher who says, it's impossible. Girls don't build rockets. And I'll end up in the kitchen. So I think from that point, I took the word impossible from my dictionary. And it has shaped me up to today. Nothing is impossible for me. Yeah. That's incredible. That's and this was this was your your high school so science this was my teacher. High school science teacher. Yeah. Male, female. Male. <laughs> mm, okay. Well, you know, maybe, maybe you know, some some good came out of mm. out of out of a bad situation exactly. because it spurred you on to to prove him wrong. Mm. 
But it's it's interesting that the Norway story mm. is, is intriguing because, and I, I was having a discussion with uh, on on wise words with a gentleman called Conrad Wolfram, who's who's trying to reconceptualize how we how we teach mathematics, and in fact, he wants to create a whole new discipline mm. called computational thinking. Mm. And and the elements are similar to, to to the way that you're describing the the issue that you fa face, which is very often what we're teaching kids in science and, and mathematics is the the formula. Mm. You know, this is what you need to to do, or you know, or this is what osmosis is. This is the technical definition of osmosis. We're not breaking it down to help them understand what the underlying mechanics are. And what the underlying principles are, and I think that's what your question, exactly. I mean, that's your challenge really, illustrates. Really, what's missing? Because then it speaks to the issue of critical thinking and problem solving. How do you critical think and problem solve when you just have theories and definitions? When you can't even break it down to understand that for this particular problem, this is the route that I must yeah. take. You know, this is how to really break it down and then use a different approach so for me i mean i've always said that i think traditional educational models are flawed because you're just producing people that can't really think for themselves but just them. Yeah. and then i remember at a point in time we were told one of the definitions that we had memorized for years was now wrong so we had to re-memorize something else you know well, so it's remarkable that you even remember <laughs> the, the, the I, definition I, you know, but yeah exactly cause most so, of us have forgotten and, all the and, and you know yeah. like in our program when we work with children they yeah. can chant certain definitions and you say okay so what does this mean and then they're like puzzled yeah. because it's just and and i really think that's why we need to have the discussion on let's stop all this memorization let's stop all this you know um producing people like an assembly line let's allow for critical thinking for people to challenge something and i think the other issue is the issue where the teacher is law i remember in in, um, in my educational system growing up if the teacher says one plus one is five one plus one is five you can't question the teacher yeah, you, you can't know, argue you can't yeah. argue you just have to take um and i remember in one instance i had a certain dialogue with a teacher where i was passionate about a particular topic and i disagreed with him he was so upset and then the issues of culture and gender came in i didn't know my place as a woman you know i was disrespecting him and i felt that this was a platform where i wasn't being too disrespectful but i was just expressing my opinions but yeah he shut me down without even allowing me to fully express myself and how so, so then how do you go from from these experiences to deciding then to go and study computer science how how did you get so I what was, was the journey like there i was well i was told i was going to be a doctor because i like science and math you know and there were the three careers doctor lawyer and i think or something else and doctor was en engineer engineer yeah. yes doctor was my calling that's my yeah. parents sort of you know put upon me yeah. um, but then I, at 12 years old my father bought him a computer and i played pac-man and okay. I loved Pac-Man, you know, but then I wanted to add more color because I thought it was boring <laughs> in terms of the look and feel. <laughs> Do you remember what, what computer it was? I think it was a Macintosh. I forgot it was dirty, but it was okay. like very early, early on. Yeah. You know, and it was very basic. Yeah. Um, and then I found out that in order to do that, I would have to learn computer science or how to code. But from the point at which I had that aspiration to when I actually wrote my first lines of code, imagine from 12 years old, mm -hmm. I wrote my first line of code when I was in university. Wow. So it took a lot <coughs> to sustain that dream 
because when I would tell people, they would be like, well, girls don't do technology. And when I would say computer science, there would be this funny yeah. look on people's faces like, do I know what I'm talking about? You know, so, and there weren't a lot of female role models for me. So it was very yeah. difficult. There were points where I thought I was crazy myself for wanting to become a computer yeah. scientist, you know, but it was something that I, I really wanted to do. And um, I was happy when I... I got the opportunity to go to university to study computer science. Yeah, and you and you went to Ashesi. Ashesi. Yeah. Ashesi was quite a story. So I was stuck between universities in Ghana because at the time the curriculum was outdated. So in terms of the technology programming that they were teaching. So they were teaching programming languages like Cobalt and Fortran, which were like old um, compiler languages, whereby the world was now talking about programming languages like Java and all of that. So I was stuck between staying in Ghana because I had a feeling that if I left Ghana and I went to study in the U.S. or in any other country, I probably wouldn't come back. Uh-huh. I was so big on staying on the continent to yeah. be part of the solution. Yeah. So I was actually in a very confused state when my dad opened the newspaper one day and saw an ad for Ashesi. So he has this like new university and my dad says, let's check it out. So I was like, okay. So we go and then we meet Dr. Ewo. And I remember he was yeah. like greeting people because this was like the first time he was setting it up. Mm. And he told us about the vision of Ashesi. It was like a house, you know. Yeah. And he gave us a little tour. And my dad was sold. I was so excited. I was definitely sold. And I remember my uncle wasn't so convinced. And he was like, this is a house university. What if it doesn't make it, you know. Um, but I believed in the vision. Yeah. And I remember there was a picture of the future campus which is nothing compared to what it is now you know yeah um, but i really like the idea of liberal arts i like the idea yeah. that we had one year to try different things because i was coming from a system where when you do science you do science yeah you know and yeah. there's no in between and i had too many different interests and i thought wow this is an yeah. opportunity to explore it in a liberal arts curriculum and and so what are, what have been you know what were the sort of key takeaway from your experience at Ashesi? I think for me, one of the big ones was being allowed to challenge the status quo and not just take information at face value. I loved the fact that each time there was any discourse or any dialogue, you could add your own personal touch and you could really dissect any information that you receive and didn't have to just take it in as the truth. I also liked um, all the different courses. I remember that at a point in time, I thought I would be better suited for business because my first visual basic class or my first programming class, I didn't do so well, but I stuck yeah. with it. I love the ethical leadership part, you know, yeah. it's ingrained from the start. So it's not um, a byproduct, you know, you're learning that you're going to be an ethical leader. So for me, I love the fact that I wasn't only going to learn technical skills, I was learning soft skills, I was learning leadership skills. Yeah. What's also interesting is um, I took a course in entrepreneurship at Ashesi and I thought I was never going to be an entrepreneur because I thought it was like very risky. People that love mm-hmm. risk that, you know. Yeah. And I turned out to be an entrepreneur and all the stuff that I've learned has shaped my entrepreneurial journey. So even though I didn't purposefully sit out and say, okay, one day when I grow up, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, I was still being prepared. So for me, um, critical thinking, ethical leadership, and then sort of helping you find yourself, you know, and giving you the skills to survive. So that was great for me about Ashesi. No, I I was, so so I I visited a couple of days ago and and I spent time with, with the students. We had a, I think I was supposed to to sort of lecture for uh, and and have a discussion with them for about you know forty five minutes to to an hour. I think we ended up 
spending two hours. <laughs> and it was it was great. I mean, it was great discussion around the ethics of education. And, and it seems to me that it's it's a remarkable place. And and, you know, you you're as, as, as good an advertisement as any of of of, uh, uh, of its ability to, to sort of transform and uh, broaden the horizons of its students and, and alumni. So, OK, so you graduate from from Ashesi. What what did you do then? So after Ashesi, you know, um, like I said, no entrepreneurial plans. My yeah. goal was to work in corporate um, Ghana and rise through the ranks, you know, yeah. and I, I first started out working at a software company. And then, then I worked in two banks, but I was the only female in the IT department. And yeah. um, I experienced firsthand how lonely it was. And I think all the things that you can imagine being in a, a minority, I experienced discrimination, sexism, stereotyping, everything. And yeah. there were all these different hurdles. But I also saw the opportunity in the technology space, yeah. um, especially for women and girls. First, economic empowerment, because I started making a lot of money yeah. because of the skill that I had. Um, and then I also was able to to do different things with my skill. What was interesting was I was like, where's the female perspective in the technology that's being created? You know, so I started yeah. questioning so many things. And can, you, can you give me an example, Regina? So because I, it's something that I've, I've heard you know, in uh, so, so even in Silicon Valley, mm. there's you know there clearly a problem mm. that, that there aren't enough you know women in in tech, mm. and and yeah, they were talking that you know a lot of you know a lot of the apps, a lot of the programs that that are being designed, they're being designed by by guys. Yeah. So g give me an Let example me of how the perspective might change if it's a woman programmer and, and a woman coder. Okay, so men and women think differently, right? And um, most of the technology is well a large number of women consume the technology also now if a guy is designing something so he's probably going to think um, about getting from point a to point b it's a straight line you know and getting there the fastest possible time are you now, accusing us of being linear <laughs> <laughs> and you know you're, um, you're and, right <laughs> and guys always complain that yeah. women are emotional or women like to you know um talk about all the little fine details but yeah. all that adds to the experience. So I don't want to mm. just go from point A to point B in the fastest possible time. Can I go to point B and check something out there? You know, yeah. um, is this? Uh, can I take a little bit of time? You know, to just have a different experience. I don't want it to be so strict. Yeah. So even in our mindset, and then when it comes to our perspectives, um, let me. There's a very interesting story about the first airbags that were designed by men and yeah. forgot to take into account women have breasts, so okay. they didn't factor in that. The first impact when you an airbag um, um, sort of um, comes out yeah. is it has to hit a woman's breast, and there are different things. So even from let's say if you are building a tool that is going to be used by consumers, how yeah. is the user experience going to be like? You know, and all of that. And I think the most important thing is you can't design something for pregnant women if you don't have a pregnant woman in the room, right? Who understands what it is. Yeah. You can't design design something for the disabled if you don't have somebody who understands what it is. You yeah. know? There's yeah. one thing to um, sort of hypothetically walk in somebody's shoes, but you can never really know till you've actually been True. in that person's yeah. shoes. So I feel like the question of diversity comes in because women and men will all bring different ideas and even yeah. riches, you yeah. know, the production. Yeah. At the end of the day, if you have Everybody who is, let's say, a football fan and supports, let's say, um, Man United, 
you know, good all choice. the ideas. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great, I wasn't sure. <laughs> <laughs> all the ideas are going to be on Man United. But when yeah. you bring a Chelsea fan, a Liverpool fan, yeah. I'm using this analogy to reach out to the men, you yeah. know, <laughs> and different fans, they bring different, you know, yeah. discussions and it enriches the dialogue. Yeah. I'm sure that's one of the things that men love about football. So the same for technology. Yeah. Let's hear what the women think. They can think something so different. I remember guys would boast on the lines of code they would write. Yeah. I found that irrelevant. I yeah. was more happy about the production, what my code was able to do. The quality the of what quality, you were doing, not, not you know, the quantity. Not yeah. how technical it was. We would have yeah. meetings and then guys would rattle <coughs> on about all the technical stuff and be so proud about how many threads they had in their code and how optimal it was. I asked the question, does my software do what it's supposed to do? Yeah. You know, yeah. What is the user experience? So yeah. we're all different and I think it's essential that yeah. both genders come together and we have that diversity. Great. No, that's, that's, that's very true. Now, essentially, you found your own software development company. So I, I was always big on social impact. Yeah. You know, I'm like I said, I wanted to stay in Ghana and not go outside and be yeah. part of solving the problem. But I didn't like how traditional NGOs run because they relied solely on donor funding. So if the donor stopped giving, the project ended. Yeah. So I started to think, how can I generate my own income and then use my income to run my social yeah. impact projects? Yeah. And that's when I discovered this whole social enterprise movement. So I started a software company to sort of generate income and then i run pilots um, my first program was called growing stems growing science yeah. technology engineering skills and math skills and um, but within that program the boys took over when we were going to like rural communities yeah. and the girls didn't participate and yeah. i had like one moment that really defined how i shaped the next project a girl and a boy come and the girl goes for the laptop and the boy says this is not for girls and the girl says but i am a girl referring to me so that was my aha moment. I realized that to get girls into technology, they needed to see female role models in technology. Yeah. So yeah. I thought, oh, how can I create a program that encourages more girls? Yeah. Answer, introduce them to other women in tech. And that's what I did. Yeah. No, that's, that's amazing. So what's a typical program that you pursue so, to, um, to engage with, uh, with girls and get them interested in? So our in, program in is a mentorship program. So the first factor is a girl is being taught by another woman um, in the technology space who um, understands um, and can relate to her. And we also create a safe space where the girls can express anything that yeah. they feel. And then we teach them coding skills. For me, it was essential that I, I, I taught girls how to create the technology and not just consume it. So it's not like digital skills, but actually creation skills. Mm -hmm. So girls learn how to code, how to create software, how to create mobile apps. Um, and then they work towards fixing a problem. What was interesting is all the issues that the girls wanted to create solutions for were like family and community problems. You know? yeah. um, we just got a few that create like solutions for projects that bring in a lot of money. Some do, but majority of mm -hmm. them wanted to solve a particular problem. And we encourage that. So we bring in um, other experts within the fields and then they can also speak to the girls. So a girl will learn to write a piece of code <coughs> to solve a particular problem. I can give you several examples. Yeah. Um, so Rosemary's mother suffered complications in childbirth. So she created a foundation called Health at Every Doorstep, set up her own website, was able to generate support, went back to the village and started a health initiative there and was also teaching on teenage pregnancy. And Esther has sickle cell um, and the issue for her was awareness. So she created mm. her own application that teaches yeah. you more about sickle cell and then sort of actually creates a community online of all the people suffering from sickle cell to get more information to be able yeah. to fight stigmatization 
Esther is just about to do a sickle cell awareness campaign and do a donation to the Kolebu Hospital. Yeah. You know, and Clara has started her own online advertising company because she says lots of SMEs, you know, don't have a platform to, you know, exhibit their products and services. Yeah. These girls are 17, 18, you know. Wow. And yeah. it's really amazing. And yeah. we have like really uh very young girls who are also thinking about really thinking outside of the box and coming up with really cool apps. Um there was after the recent floods um that we had in Ghana, I think a couple of years ago and there was a fire and there was a yeah. disaster and the girls worked on an app that helps you sort of educate people on keeping the environments clean to prevent flooding you know it was a mobile solution and so it's amazing to see all the different ideas but it's also important that the girls have the skills to create the solutions and you're starting to get the recognition now you've you've opened your academy mm. right and i think the bbc listed you as one of the hundred most inspirational and innovative women of, of twenty seventeen. What are you hoping now? I and mean, what what's next for you? Where where do you want to take this uh, so, th this project? Yeah. So we like you said we've expanded and we've opened up an academy now. We're training more people. We've actually also started working with the disabled. Um so we had a coding a training for deaf children and we also modified our curriculum to teach children with autism how to code also. And um, another interesting thing that we started to do is we're piloting teaching coding in public schools. So there's a school in Kumase that has introduced coding as part of the school's curriculum. Yeah. So from um, class one to GHS three, everybody learns to code. And we're working on tweaking that model to incorporate it into, you know, ICT. So it's not just ICT and th this is a mouse, this is a, you know, um, a hardware device, but it's actually learning to code. So for us, the future looks like more and more women, you know, um, studying and pursuing mm -hmm. careers in ICT. We yeah. are happy. I'm so proud to say like some of our mentees have now gone on to study computer science at Ashesi University and actually being taught by the professor that taught me. So it's like full yeah. circle for me. And also we're connecting our girls to internships and um, job opportunities. I'm looking to scale. So we've actually replicated this also in Burkina Faso mm -hmm. um, in a project called Girls Tech. So we've translated our curriculum to French in partnership with another organization yeah. there, and they've trained like 685 girls so we're also very excited about yeah. replicating yeah. and scaling um this innovation and i think finally the two things is putting our curriculum online um in a way that it's accessible but breaking it down in yeah. local language so i also want to put it online and start a radio show that really explains what technology is in local yeah. language because yeah. i feel like um that we're missing out on so many people not really understanding what the digital world is, all the new um, technologies that are being spoken about. Yeah. So they really feel left behind and they feel that they can't connect because they don't yeah. really understand. So what would me, be the key messages that you would put out? I think the first one is that technology is going to take over. It's not something that it's not a question of will it is when will it, you know, and it's mm. already doing that. So yeah. I think the key thing is how are we making sure that young people are have the skills for the future of work and that's the big issue every yeah. parent wants their child to be able to be successful but in order for that to happen they need the skills for today yeah. and i think the good thing about technology also that it teaches you know sort of computational thinking logical thinking and it's really breaking it down to the average Ghanaian to understand if this is a problem i mean technology is just a tool <coughs> but it's a tool yeah you just even yeah. analyze breaking down the problem before you even bring in the technology and how can it help yeah how can it help and what are some of the tools that you can use so really getting people to understand the value is one of the and getting policy makers and, and decision makers to 
change the way schools work, you know. Yeah. Change the I like what somebody said on the panel today. Doctors are not doing medicine the way they did hundred years ago. So why are we still teaching? You know, that one yeah. teacher yeah. Yeah. speaking to a sea of people makes no sense. Let's yeah take down the brick and mortar, let's make it more of a dialogue. Let's even change the seating patterns. At the academy we work in small groups, you know, it's very interactive. There are breaks. You can't sit down for two hours and listen to somebody go on and on and on yeah. and on, you know. So all that innovation has to happen also, you know, within the educational sector. You know, the, 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 the price of technology and in particular the mm. price of computing has, has been plummeting. Mm. But, you know, there still requires significant resources mm. to be able to, for example, have, you know, computers in, mm. in every school. Mm. So... Have you, have you given any thoughts to, yes. to how yes. that yes. might be overcome? And, and There is, um, <coughs> you know, there have been several projects. So we had the one laptop per child. Um, the initial government also had several projects. Looking at how do we get more access and get more computers out there. That is a big question. I mean, there should be discussions like what local innovations can come up in terms of assembling something low cost. You yeah. know, now there are all these um, really cheap alternatives like the raspberry pi the adrenos yeah. that you know sort of allow you to get a computer costing um between 10 to 15 dollars yeah. you know um, but then when you bring it down and um, we still have a big issue when it comes to cost when it comes to access because at the end of the day the computer is just a device yeah. being able to go online and connect to the rest of the world is the missing piece yeah you, can you, have need, like you need a, other infrastructure exactly, to do that. you need yeah. the content you know you yeah. can have a great <clears throat> supercomputer but if you are not able to plug in what's the point you know yeah. so i i still think maybe i'm hoping that the cost will come down now i mean now smartphones have really come down in terms of cost yeah. you know um and i'm hoping that more people would come up with innovations of devices but what's interesting is um if you are looking at the trends we're going to reach a point where we not actually need devices you know where you'll be able to use technology on different things like the smart ring is coming out so yeah we have the wearables you know yeah um, it will reach the point where every screen can be some type of computer you know yeah. so you can look around at resources that you have just sort of plug in and then you're able to use it um, but it's still a big challenge when you come yeah. down the, the only problem that, that i see is that the, the way that technology is is developing now is is actually they're they're sort of pushing us further and further away from the actual mechanics yeah. of it so it's like it's it's like a car yeah. you know you learn to drive a car but you don't necessarily understand very much about the engineering mm -hmm. that goes into mm -hmm. it or or you know or the laws of physics mm -hmm. that it obeys and i don't know i feel there's something something's being lost to a certain extent when you know when we make the things so user friendly that you know you don't need to understand anything about how how it you know how it works mm -hmm. And to, and to a certain extent, what you're trying to do is actually you're trying to teach, you know, a fundamental element of how this works, exactly. which is which exactly. is the code, exactly. right? The instructions, the instructions, that, and understand that, that make it behave exactly in a certain make way. Make it behave because yeah. then you're what will happen is we'll get like solutions from all over that yeah. are like sort of pushed down here, and then we have yeah. to adjust to the solution. Yeah. But when we create solutions. Um, from our perspective, then it's something that really solves the problem. Yeah. Not the other way around, where you get something that you try and understand, you know, how yeah. to make it work for you. Um, so that's for me, is key that people learn or have the skills to 
give the instructions and then create something yeah. that solves a problem. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the challenges that you're experiencing now in terms of? I mean, you you've, you've obviously achieved a, a fair amount. Mm. You know, there's there's still a, a ways a ways to go. So <laughs> lots what, of ways. Um, what are what are some of the challenges? My biggest you're, challenge is mindset. Yeah. Um, I think that is even the first hurdle before you even start to talk about technologies um, is getting people to understand the value. Um, you know, when you're teaching um, future skills, people are more interested in the now. You know, yeah. and parents are concerned about, okay, is this a skill my child is going to use to pass exams? Because that's the mindset that mm -hmm. they've had. Yeah. I need my kid to pass, you know, her basic exam or WASI or whatever. So yeah. for me, the biggest challenge is getting parents or the general community to understand um, the value of technology. The second challenge we have is when you empower a girl and, and she goes back into a community that doesn't understand what an empowered girl looks like. It's very yeah. difficult. Yeah. You know, so sometimes there are instances where they try and shut the girl up. So then we need more education um, so that parents understand that, okay, my girl child is of, is of value as my male child, mm -hmm. you know, and it's important that I give her equal opportunity that I would give you yeah. know, my male child. And I think also the last issue is when it comes to scaling, you know, yeah. I, I have a gazillion ideas, um, but, you know, I have to take my time and um, go at a slower pace than I would like to because there are so many different yeah. issues when it comes to access to funds and being able to scale and all these bureaucracies. I believe in public and private partnerships. I believe um, the government has so many different priorities and it's yeah. essential that they just work with private sectors who have been on the field and have gathered, um, have made some progress so that we work together and scale these innovations. For me, I want the work that I do to live beyond me. So I, wanted, I want to create a better life yeah. for my children and I'm hoping that you know, if we got more public-private partnerships, we would create, I mean, a ripple yeah. effect um, as opposed to moving slowly because, you know, you don't get access to different things. Yeah. Do, do you ever get pushback? I mean, I, I can see the, the pushback from, you know, traditional communities and, you know, even, I guess, the, the, the boys, I suppose, still, mm -hmm. you know, have this expectation that this, this is kind of our domain. Space. Do you get any, any pushback from, from the girls themselves? Do you have... Do you have a hard time, so if, assuming you've persuaded the parents, do you have a hard time persuading the girls themselves you know, um, that this is something that they ought to at least try? The initial stage is always a, a little bit of doubt for the girls because um, yeah. they've had a lot of social conditioning from early on, this yeah. is for boys, this is for yeah. girls, blah, 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 blah. So for them, the first thing is the confidence and the belief that they can do it. Yeah. Once they see that they can, and then they start to think, oh my goodness, what else can I do? And then they get more positive and more um, excited. The only pushback comes when there isn't a system that reinforces that message. Yeah. Unfortunately for girls, when they hear one bad compliment, they forget all the good compliments, and mm. then they dwell on that negative. You know, yeah, and then yeah. They judge themselves on that negative point, you know. So it's to keep breaking that mindset that look, if you can't do something, doesn't mean you're a failure. It yeah. doesn't mean this is it yeah, for you. Yeah. Is there something that you are not good at? And teaching them the confidence to be bold and chase after their mm. dreams, and you know, unapologetically. So. The girls are always excited. In the beginning, they're a little nervous, a little scared. Once they get into it, they're excited. Yeah. And, but there still needs to be that reinforcing that message and then keep encouraging them, you know. And for us, that's why we set up a, a, the academy, to keep reinforcing the message and encouraging them to the point where the girls believe 
<coughs> I can do it, and then they will go on, and that's what I love. There's that domino effect. Then yeah. they will go on and inspire yeah. other girls, and then you see the ripple effect. I I usually ask this question of all the all the guests. You know, if there's one area that you'd want the the whole world to to learn or or one skill, what would it be? Now, obviously, you've devoted your career to coding, and and that's that's sort of the thing. But within that 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 space, what should we all know about coding? I think the first thing that everybody should know about coding is it's just a language, you know, um, it's very simple and it teaches you how to think. I mean, to quote Steve Jobs, he says, if you learn to code, you're actually learning how to think well. But I think one of the other skills for me, um, because my work in technology also focuses on social impact, that I want the world to learn is empathy. And I think that would go a long way if people can empathize with others and can really put themselves in other people's shoes and positions and then when you add coding to it you have like amazing solutions that consider human beings so i think i'll give to empathy and coding of course regina Honu, thank you very much you for very sharing your thoughts with us it's been a pleasure thank you thank you If you're enjoying the Wise Words podcast and want to find out more about our guests and their work, as well as discover what else we do at Wise, you can visit us at www.wise-qatar.org backslash wise-words. And if you want to continue the discussion, compliment or critique us, you can find us on Twitter at wise underscore tweets or at wise underscore CEO, hashtag wise pod. We would also appreciate reviews on iTunes because it helps other people find us.